I don't know that I could be bringing you content from two more different people today, but I want to spend some time on something Jim Carrey recently said, and then Senator Ben Sass from Nebraska will also try to talk about some American capitalism. We'll do that and more on today's Corey True Act Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening, and I think you would agree the best thing is that it's happening to you and me. Welcome into this edition of the Corey Show, glad you are with us. I know those two things are certainly odd. Jim Carrey, the Hollywood actor who seems to have gone crazy later in his career, and then the person who I consider to be our the best person in Congress, the person in Congress who is the most encouraging to me, that we we have leaders of character and of intellect and who think deeply. That is Senator Ben Sass. You know, I filled in for Josh Kimbrell this week on one episode of his show at the the Drive Home Show here on WLFJ, Christian Talk 660, and I played some of that clip that he had at State of the, the State of the Union, and I started thinking over a break, who are the people in Congress that I actually admire, that are human beings that seem like they care about doing the right thing, that think deeply, that aren't just playing team politics, and I came up with like six names. It wasn't a lot, but Ben Sass is one of them, and he's probably the bright spot, so we'll play some audio from him, but we're going to start with Jim Carrey. My, uh, but first, my name is Corey Truax, securing the blessings of liberty since 1986, and I am also the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets at Greenville High School in downtown Greenville. We'd love to have you even tomorrow morning if you're listening live on WLFJ here on Saturday morning. We'll be up uh, tomorrow there, Greenville High School, 1030. We meet there every Sunday morning, and you, whoever you are, you are cordially invited. And if you go and someone says, hey, who invited you? I'm just kidding. No one's going to ask you that. But you can say, hey, that guy on the radio did, and you'll, you'll find me there. All right, Jim Carrey, here is why he was in the news. He was in the news for the wrong reason. He was on Bill Maher. Jim Carrey, you have to know who Jim Carrey is, right? I, do I have to clarify the guy from The Mask, and he was in Truman Show, and he was the big movie star, Ace Ventura, that, that Jim Carrey, who later in life he seems to have gotten into some weird stuff, not, not just religiously, but religiously he said some weird things. I don't know if it sounds Scientology-esque. Uh, he got into the anti-vaccine thing. He's just gotten a little weird as he's gotten older. I think he had some kind of mental break, personally. He might be getting better now, in any event. He was on Bill Maher to promote a new show he has coming out on Netflix. He said to me at least three significant things on that show. Only one of them got any press and got him any attention. Here's the one that everyone paid attention to. The Democrats need to get a plan to fight this this slander of socialism. You're going to be living in Venezuela. I don't see it yet. We have to say yes to socialism, to the word and everything. Now, Jim Carrey was the one at the end there. So Bill Maher started... And they were complaining about how Republicans and conservatives put some scare tactics on the word socialism. And Bill Maher saying Democrats have to come up with some strategy to unscare us, uh, to, to get socialism, to get socialist policy, but quit scaring Americans by saying it. And Jim Carrey made news because at the end there he said, no, we need to not be scared of it. We need to embrace it, embrace the word and everything. And so folks on the right, of course, go after him. Because let's be clear on this objectively. He's wrong. Socialism, where it's been tried, is a failure. It's not good for people. That's one of the ways that we should evaluate policy is, did it help people? Is it good for the most people? Socialism's not. Capitalism has been better for people than socialism has. That's that's not a questionable thing. Now, I don't mind... Listen, listen here. I wonder if I could win you over to me. I don't mind folks like Jim Carrey. That's an honest thing to say. 
This is why I'd rather deal with Elizabeth Warren. I'd rather deal with Bernie Sanders. I want someone to say the words. Yeah, I think we should have socialism. I think that what's going on in the, the systems in, in Britain and Canada, I think the systems in Western Europe, I think they're better than ours. That's what I want. I would rather deal with that honest broker than the person who does think that. I'd rather deal with Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren than Cory Booker. who He thinks all that, but he won't say it. I'd rather deal with one of them than Hillary Clinton. She believes all that, but she won't say it. And so he got criticism for saying that thing. However, should we criticize him for saying it, or should we just argue that the policy is bad? I would argue for the latter. We should actually celebrate Jim Carrey for articulating with honesty instead of trying to hide the policy opinion. Now, that's the first thing he said. That's the one that got him attention, and I wish he wouldn't have really been criticized for saying it. I want to applaud him for saying it, but he's wrong. And so let's have this more honest conversation. That's the thing we don't have. We don't really have honest conversations, but if Jim Carrey is willing to say, yes, I want to embrace collectivism, I want to embrace ownership not by private companies and private people, I want to embrace communal ownership of all things, as long as you're going to be honest, cool, we, we can work with you on that. So I want to em embrace him for his honesty, but then argue against the point. Now, we're going to, that was the comment he made, he got famous for. Now, here's a, a comment that actually was dumb. It was a dumb thing to say. This should have gotten more attention because it needs actually to be corrected. He's talking about a painting he did, so he opens here talking about Abraham Lincoln. This is Jim Carrey. A president that actually, you know, had the worst tribulations our country has ever faced and brought us together. Now, the opposite is happening right now. We have a president who started out when the country was together and had a wonderful leader, and he is tearing us limb from limb, well, destroying I, every... Okay, that's, ri that's ridiculous. So I want to... I want to correct that record because it is important that we do agree upon all of the facts together, that we're all living in the same country. So Jim was honest to say, I want socialism. I applaud that. All right, so in this case, let's be honest with each other. If that's how you viewed the country in 2017 on Inauguration Day, that we were a unified people, that 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 because he's, he's talking about Barack Obama, Jim Carrey was referring to, we had this, this awesome leader, we were all unified, and then Donald Trump came along and broke us. So that's not what happened either. I think it is important to recognize that this fissuring, this fracturing of the American people has been happening for a long time. I am very interested in someone, someone actually doing the academic work of going back to find a breaking point. I have some suspicion that it surrounds the late 90s into early 2000s, it was the impeachment, non-removal, and then that 2000 election that, that folks on the left think was, was stolen. I think something might have fundamentally broken at that time amongst the American people. It might not have been then. It certainly could have been more advent of social media where everyone has a platform and we really we know how many people out there disagree with us and so it's uncomfortable. I, I'm not sure what broke us. But for Jim Carrey, you need to know, man. And for the listeners I have that are kind of on the left, if your vision of America during the Obama administration was unity, you have the wrong vision of America. It's not a difference of opinion. You're wrong. You're wrong about that. There was a giant chunk of Americans feeling very alienated by the previous president, and he didn't help. So this was the president who said things like, you know, you guys drove the car into the ditch. You get in the back seat. I'm driving now. That's not language of inclusion. When he's waving around a teabag and making fun of Tea Party folks, that's not language that's unifying. 
it was his administration, it was during that time on the left that it became a very normal thing to just call the people who disagree with you racists, sexists, and bigots and homophobes. If they disagree with you on taxes, they are just a bigot. That's the only reason. If they disagree with you on a foreign policy thing, it's obviously just because they're Islamophobic or maybe they hate gay people, gay people or something. Like It was during the Obama administration that the mainstreaming on the left of assigning bad values and immorality to people who don't agree with you. Now, the right reciprocated. The right reciprocated to the left the assumption. If you don't think like I do, it's because you're a bad person. So, but for Jim Carrey, you need to know, man, we were divided long before Trump came along. Trump is actually likely a, not just likely, I'm going to declare this. I'm right about this. Trump is not a cause of disunity. He's a symptom of it. He's exasperated it. So in that way, he's a call in that way, he's a cause, but he didn't start this. Like this is, he is a symptom of the battle we were already having. He was a symptom of a of a group of folks feeling disenfranchised and forgotten, and that this guy would fight the people that disenfranchised them. Right? That's that's the result there. So he so Jim Carrey on that should have made more news because he's living in a delusion. We have been a broken people for a long time. Now, final thing he said that I want to get to. This is actually good. And so when you go on balance of the things he said, we gave him attention for saying. We should embrace socialism. We ignore his uh, his alternate reality that we were all a very uni unified people. What I wish people would have heard him say was this. We are parentless. You know, <laughs> and we are babysat by the television. We're taught how to think by the television. That's the dangerous time, a thing about what's going on right now. There's right. An, there, are, there are generations growing up right now who are learning to lie. The lying is okay. That, yeah. That this uh, kids you know, say fake news. That you're supposed to hate half the country. You right. Know? And if 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 anything, if anything, we've got to get back to a place where we realize that a vote is not who you are. You know. And and because you voted Republican, you're not stupid. You're not different. You're not worthless. You know. I could break bread with anybody who voted for Trump. We could find some common ground right. to love each other through. You know. That crowd didn't want to like it but someone finally started that clap and said it. I feel the same way. I could. I, I don't think most Trump folks would want to break bread with me, but I could. The same thing with Obama folks or Clinton folks, because our politics are not our humanity. It would be good if the, United States, the people of the United States had not heard, well, Jim Carrey said we need to embrace socialism, and they would have heard that part. Because here's, here's what I know about Jim Carrey. He's wrong about economic systems. He doesn't know enough. He's kind of ignorant about those things. But the person who is honest enough to say that that's what they want and then expresses a heart that I don't have to hate people. I don't have to just because they think differently than me. You know how much that makes me wish I could talk to Jim Carrey? Someone who will be honest and doesn't have to hate. Man, those are rare. We have a politics that's very dishonest. It's very shrouded. It's very nuanced in a way that's not nuanced for the sake of understanding. It's nuanced for the sake of deceit. Someone who would just say what they want, oh man, that'd be incredible. And someone at the end of that conversation, someone at the end of that exchange, they don't hate you. They don't think they have to. That's what we should have made him famous for. That's what we should have put him on CNN and Fox News for. Not for let's embrace socialism. He's at least being honest there. 
How about we actually have a public figure stand up and say, you don't have to hate each other. You know, the, the problem is on this identity piece, that people identify so deeply. I am a Republican. I am a conservative. I am a liberal. I am a Democrat. Partly because the other social structures broke down. With the absence of a religion to identify with, or absence of a state or a neighborhood or a civic organization, people need meaning. People need to feel like they're in a tribe. People need to feel like they're in a club and they belong. And so what has replaced the church primarily in people's lives is politics. That's their church. And so the the longings of life where we or where we feel like we're doing acts of worship ends up coming in the political sphere. I think I have a couple more thoughts on that. I'm not totally sure. We'll take the break and I will figure that out. But I also have Ben Sass audio that is just excellent that I want to get to. So come back for that Senator Ben Sass audio and plenty more here on the Corey Truax Show. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. Get every, every episode of the show on demand at CoreyTruax.com. You can do that at Apple iTunes, Apple Podcasts. So where else? SoundCloud? Anchor? Stitcher? There is also out, out there on Spotify for you kids who do the streaming. Plenty of different ways to listen. I certainly hope that you will. And as always, I know it sounds rote. I know it sounds routine. Do you know what it would mean to me if you would share the show? Like even go out on, get this, make it public. Let's go public. And you tell someone you actually listen to the show. Like put it on social media and say, hey, here's an episode that's helpful. I would highly appreciate it if you would do such a thing. We will move on from Jim Carrey, but there were some valuable lessons to learn there as we are the show that does deeper, better thinking on culture, politics, and the church. We do better, deeper thinking on the culture around us, the, the ideas between, beneath the headlines. That's what we are doing. You know, uh, maybe this is presumptuous or it is arrogant. And believe it or not, I've been accused of arrogance before. I know it surprises a lot of you that I've been accused of that, but it's true. Uh, Anchor, one of the shows that hosts my, excuse me, one of the platforms that hosts my podcast, tweeted out, Everybody tweet us your show in five words. What's your show in five words? And I think I tweeted them back. Deeper thinking. Oh, yes, I had deeper comma. Deeper, better thinking about everything. Deeper, better thinking about everything. Yeah, it's five words. And that's what I hope we're doing here. That we're doing deeper thinking than you're getting on any of the garbage that's on most cable TV and certainly on most talk radio. Talk radio has just become a mindless graveyard of thought. And then uh, that we're doing deeper thinking, we're doing better thinking, that we're careful. We don't just react. We don't just identify with whatever tribe we have and then just spit out garbage from there, but we're actually thinking deeper, thinking better about a vast variety of things, not just what's in the headlines. So with that said, we go to Ben Sass. Ben Sass is a senator from Nebraska. He is awesome. He has a book out right now really about fatherhood and families about raising kids and how we've all failed to raise men and women that we raise adolescents and their adolescence goes on forever and ever. Uh, he is one of the only guys in Congress that just just does seem like one of us. He's just a normal dude. He doesn't seem like a swamp creature or the self-interested, uh, self-aggrandizing person that we all think of as the folks that populate Washington, D.C. He just seems like a genuine guy, and he's just excellent. He really gets it. He gets the founders really well. Before I play him, I do want to mention this for those of you who are super well-informed. And I saw this comment as well on Facebook when I was talking about how encouraged I was by what Ben Sass said on CNN last weekend. Someone said something to the effect of, you know, 
the left only likes only likes Senator Sass. You know, the 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 media only will interview him because he didn't vote for Trump. That's true. He didn't vote for Trump. Now, here's what I know about broken thinking, though. If you can discredit a person by their vote, that thing that Jim Carrey just talked about, the vote not being you, you're not a very deep thinker. That's not a good enough way to discredit what someone says. Whether someone voted for Barack Obama, uh, what is his name, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, George W. Bush, voted for anybody else, you don't get to evaluate them and what they say on their voting record. You evaluate, this is a Christian worldview thing, by the way. This is not my opinion. I'm giving you a Christian worldview biblical idea. We evaluate what someone says by, get this, what they say. When they say something, we ask ourselves, was that true or false? Not, well, the only reason they're even being heard, the only reason they're even being able to talk about that is because they voted. No, 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 not how that works. If we're going to be smart people, if we're going to be deeper thinking people, if we're going to be an intellectual people, and if we won't be an intellectual people, you don't deserve to be a country. We're going to fall apart anyway because we're all so stupid. You evaluate what people say by whether or not it's true or false, not about their political background. So you can evaluate what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says and just see, well, that's just a dumb thing. That's not true. All the facts and the data I can show you that it's just not a smart thing. Then you can look at something like Ben Sass is going to say here, and it's just objectively true. Yeah, for example, let's go back to Jim Carrey for a minute. I evaluate what he said about how we were such a unified country before Trump took over. Well, just objectively, no, we weren't, man. You think we were unified because you live in Los Angeles and everyone was really happy there when President Obama was president. They all had the same opinion. So you thought everybody in America had the same opinion you did. So you thought we were unified, but you're just missing some data. You're just missing some information you pre you previously didn't have. We weren't unified. And so it doesn't matter that he also said we need to try socialism, like that, that we just need to embrace it. Those two things don't affect one another because they can be evaluated independently. So even the three clips I played for you, he says, one, we, we don't have to hate each other. That's objectively good. We don't have to look, at each, look down at each other for having different opinions. That's an objectively good thing. You look at the statement on the country was unified, well, that's an objectively false thing. So false is bad. And then his final statement was, we need to embrace socialism and not be scared of it. And he's just objectively, that's objectively wrong. You see how we do this? This is just called being an adult. That's all it is. Just called, it's called being an intellectual adult, where you evaluate the things you hear and whether or not they're good or bad, true or false, and we don't do it by, well, you know their real motivation. I don't care. Your opinion on someone else's motivation is irrelevant, and you need to quit caring, too. You need to grow up and think. That's how we should go about these things. All right. To Ben Sass. Here was some of the brilliance that came from him. So appreciative of him and his leadership. He was on with Jake Tapper from State of the Union. Jake Tapper will get the thing started. Yesterday, you retweeted someone who said that they switched their party registration from Democrat to no party, and you replied by saying you, quote, regularly consider switch, switching from the Republican Party to becoming an independent uh, as well. Why and what's stopping you from doing so? Yeah, so I'm one of about eight people in the U.S. Senate who's never been a politician before, and I think I've been saying for three years that I conceive of myself as an independent conservative who caucuses with the Republicans. But, but before he goes on... Isn't that attitude one we should all be adopting? Is it not absurd that anyone thinks of themselves as a Republican or a Democrat? That he's, he's saying, what I consider myself to be is a person who thinks. I have ideas, 
And because those ideas are more closely aligned with this club over here, I caucus with them. I meet with them. I, I try to help them uh, advance their agenda when their agenda is also mine. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm not really uh, this political party that's so transient and stupid. I'm really a thinker who has opinions and ideas. Frankly, neither of these parties have a long-term vision for the future of the country. You know, 10 years from now, where are we going to be in the future of work when young people are disrupted out of jobs three times a decade? Now he is talking my language, first broadly and then narrowly. Really, ask yourself, for either party, do they have a plan for 10 years from now? You know the Chinese actually have it on paper? They have on paper a 100-year plan, and then they have... Uh, here's where we want to be uh, financially, socially, with our research, militarily. Here's where we want to be 100 years from now. Here's where we want to be 90, 80, 70, 60 years from now. They have a plan. What is the plan of these parties? Do they envision America even 10 years from now? Do they have a thought? As far as I can tell, the plan is when. If you ask a Repub like a real, like a party person, what's the goal? What are we here to do? When? We're here to win. We've got to win the election. Well, what's going to happen after you win? What do you get? And I would imagine they don't actually have an answer to that because the answer is just to win again. Every two years, you just got to win. Just keep winning. They they exist to win. They don't exist for any principle or idea or, or, or for any kind of progress. They just exist to continue to win elections. So broadly, he's Ben Sass says that, and he's right. Like the, They have no plan. They're not thinking ahead. They're just thinking about trying to win the next election. And so he got really specific there for a second. Like, what about the fact that the, the jobs that our kids have, that the technology progresses so fast, it's likely that if you got a student now that's 20 or under, that the industry they're in is going to be disrupted three times in 10 years. Like, the jobs that they had might not exist. Like, they've got to relearn something altogether new. You know, we had that one, one giant time in my lifetime with NAFTA where it really changed the economy. We have a, a technological situation where things are going to fundamentally change several times a decade. Does anyone want to talk about that? Do we want to have a plan for that? Do we want to start thinking about education policy for that, the infrastructure that we're going to have? No, we're just here to do the winning thing. And he's so right. There is no vision or leadership for America. It, it, no matter the, in the organization you've ever been a part of, whether it's been a church or it's been a business, if you have leadership that does not have vision... They don't know where you're going. They don't know where they want to take you. It doesn't go well. And we've not had that for decades. What we've had is leadership, at least political leadership in the country, that just knows they need to keep winning because that other side will destroy us if they win and none of them actually have a plan for the future. Future of war and cyber, the collapse of community. Like There's massive stuff happening in America, and these parties are really pretty content to do 24-hour news cycles screaming at each other. And that's 100% true. If it does mean continuing to maintain power, oh yeah, they're more than happy just to do the cable news wars. They don't need to solve anything or come up with any kind of a policy or ideas. You know, he even mentioned cl collapse of community. He says here, we have real problems. There are things to try to solve and to address and to lead on. Collapse of community is one of the big ones. We have so, we have so much strife, or one of the reasons we have so much strife in the country is we've identified ourselves by so many other things except the stuff that unifies us. We seek out the things that divide us, and it puts us in these small little groups. And so we all hate each other. It's a, That's a genuine problem to try to lead on and solve. But there's no interest in that, because I don't know if I can win an election on that. That's not an issue where I can win. Now, would it help people? Yeah, it would help. But it's not emotional. 
and it's not visceral, and I can't gin up my base talking about it, and so I don't want to talk about it. This goes back to the Jim Carrey point a little bit. I can deal with someone who has every thought, every thought they have, every opinion I have, I disagree with. But if they want to talk about real stuff, things that deeply matter, and not the controversy of the week, well, I can deal with that person. That person has grown up. They're mature. They have some thoughts. I think they're wrong. But I can deal so much, I could deal so much better with an honest, deep-thinking socialist than the person who just watches Fox News all week. They get mad about the things Fox tells them to get mad about. They've not had a deep thought in a whole long time. They just know what the news tells them to think. He's right. We have a collapse of community. We have all kinds of giant problems, and they are content to just deal with the weekly controversy. The main thing that the Democrats are for is being anti-Republican and anti-Trump, and the main thing Republicans are for is being anti-Democrat and anti-CNN, and neither of these things are really worth getting out of bed in the morning for. I think we should be talking about where the... I have to stop on the getting out of bed in the morning for. That's the point I've been trying to make. The stuff that folks in the political world make big I make a big deal of it is not worth getting out of the bed in the morning for but again we've we've taken away so many cultural markers we've taken a, I've already mentioned religion he mentioned a minute a minute ago the collapse of community that we all feel so isolated when you take away the institutions that gave us a lot of meaning that again that was the church that was your neighborhood it was your local community when you actually knew people you found some identity in that you got to find it somewhere. And so cable news is offering it to you. Social media is offering it to you. Some political ideology or party is offering you that kind of identity. And so we 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 glom onto that to try to find some meaning. But he's right. It's not worth getting out of bed over. The fight over the midterm elections and the Republicans and the Democrats, it's not worth your time. Whoever you are listening to me right now, you're better than that. You should, you should think deeper things. Philosophically. On policy, you're. Sm- I bet this. If you're listening to me right now, you're probably smarter than more than half of Congress. Develop your thoughts. We don't need to be fighting over all these meaningless things that aren't worth getting out of bed for. Talking about where the country's going to be in ten years. So, <laughs> I- I've been saying for a long time that these parties need to reform and and have a future-focused vision, and we're not there yet. Stop for a second on that. I do want to reemphasize it. The future-focused vision. I actually don't remember the last time we've had a political leader that seemed to be pointing us in a direction. So let's just go over the last couple of presidents and some campaigns. So the, the the winning campaign was Make America Great Again, but that was never really defined. I don't know when, when that was, if we were trying to get back to 1950 America, 1960 America, uh, 1781 America. I don't know when that was, the Make America Great Again thing. It wasn't a clear, focused vision. Previ- and well, even his... His opponent, was she pointed towards the future? Like a, like a really clear vision? It felt like her argument to be president was, we need a woman. It should be a woman time now. We haven't had one, so we should. And her other argument was, and that guy's crazy. It wasn't a future-focused vision. It was, I'm a woman, and he's, he's nuts. You go, back to, uh, you go back to Barack Obama. We made fun of it. Hope and change. That's what we need. We need hope and change. Okay, well, I guess that's about the future hoping for change in the future. It was never all that well specified. It was just a slogan. It meant nothing. Maybe you go back to, uh, I mean, what, Mitt Romney? Ran against Mitt Romney. 
it was. I guess that was supposed to be. There, I guess there were some specifics there, but I don't think he even had a coherent message. I think the message was the economy's bad, and it was, and I know what I'm doing. But that was again. It was responsive. It was reactive. It wasn't this transformational. Hey, I, I'm looking towards the future of tech. I'm looking towards the future of what's coming. I think we need to prepare for it as a government in a country. I don't know when that was the last time. And maybe the maybe it was contract with America in 94. It wasn't even a presidential candidate. And they only got like two things done in the contract with America. But it was this Newt Gingrich put forward. This is our vision. These are the things we think we need to accomplish in the next few years to be successful and to maintain our growth patterns and to do well. A really clear and focused vision. We don't have that from any political leadership anymore. And it, this gets misused. People will go to Nehemiah, or maybe it's Ezra, but I think it's Nehemiah. And you know, where, where there's no vision, the people perish. And then try to apply it to business or to, or to country. It's not, quite, uh, it's, it's not quite applicable, but there's a principle there. If, you don't, if you're not aiming towards something, you won't hit anything. And we have no leadership that's aiming towards anything right now. Uh, why stay a Republican, and, and when's the last time you thought about becoming an independent? Uh, I probably think about it every morning when I wake up and I figure out why. Why am I flying away from Nebraska to go to D.C. this week? Are we going to get real stuff done? I may be naive, but I believe him. I believe that guy loves Nebraska, and that's a hard place to love. And he gets up and he sees his family and his kids, and he goes, I guess I'm going back there. Would be really worth it if we were doing something if we were planning for the future and thinking about where we're going to lead and not just having really stupid controversies that mean nothing. I believe him. I believe he actually does have those reactions. So I'm committed to the party of Lincoln and Reagan as long as there's a chance to reform it. Uh, but this party used to be for some pretty definable stuff. And frankly, neither of these parties are for very much more than being anti. And anti or anti-anti or anti-anti-anti, it's pretty boring <laughs> stuff. We should be focused on the long term, and I'd love to see the party of Lincoln and Reagan get back to its roots. He used another key phrase there for me, that boring thing. And earlier he said, this stuff's just not worth getting out of bed for. And he's right. There are meaningless controversies that go from day to day and week to week, and then we forget they ever happened. They're also boring. You know, C.S. Lewis has this great quote. It's really from a spiritual matter that we we think this world is so great uh, from all, all of its wonders. And he's kind of comparing it to heaven here. But he says, we're, we're just too easily satisfied. We're such an easily satisfied people where uh, when we don't know what we're missing. So his illustration is, you know, you got this kid who's playing on the beach and he's building cat sandcastles and he thinks this is the greatest thing he could ever see. Like, these sandcastles in this ocean, this is the greatest thing I'm ever going to see. He has no idea what the world out there has to offer him. And then we do the same thing. We look at what the world has to offer and we think it's awesome, but it's really just sandcastles on the beach. It's not all that impressive. This happens in politics, too. People convince themselves that because it's on the news, it's important, and so th they find some meaning in it, and they, they think they're doing something important, but they're not. You know what it really is? It's boring. It's not only not worth getting out of bed for, I'm just bored by it. I'm bored by the controversies. I'll give you an example. Cory Booker made a bunch of news last week, and I found it, I guess, sort of funny because he was running for president during the Kavanaugh hearings. During the Kavanaugh hearings, he was making uh, all kinds of gestures of 
these grand these gestures of grandeur is the term I'm going to make up right now. And he made a big deal about I'm breaking the rules. I'm releasing emails to break the rules. He was even challenging. Well, I, I know I could be expelled from the Senate. When he was the undertone there was please expel me from the Senate. I really want to be expelled from the Senate because he thinks that could be a great platform from which to run for president. Like I was such a rebel and I've been fighting for you so much they even kicked me out of the Senate. I'm a martyr. He wanted that because he's running for president anyway. And so I look at that story, I think it's funny because he's so bad at it, but it's also this. It's boring. It doesn't mean anything. It's this vacuous, meaningless garbage. And I was bored by it. I thought it was funny for maybe 10 minutes, and it was like, yeah, I need to do something else. Eh, it's really boring. And that's where we need to get. Recognizing that the little, menial nothings of Republicans and Democrats all the time they don't mean anything. They're not worth getting out of bed for. And they're totally boring. All right, when we come back, I got a text this week from a friend I want to respond to about American capitalism and the state thereof, how, how it has changed over time. We'll do that when we come back on The Corey Act Show. Welcome in for the final segment of the Corey Act Show. Of course, we'll get to sports here in just a bit. But I got a text from a good friend this week from Glenn. By the way, if you have things, I don't think he meant for me to cover this on the show, by the way. <laughs> I'm just stealing it because I think it's good content and it's fun to talk about. But questions you would want responded to, information you, th- you think, hey, I would love to know more about that, but I don't want to do the work. Well, I'll do the work. I like to know things. And I can teach it in a compelling way. So uh, send ideas, things you think would be good on the show. Uh, you can do that on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. You can do that at Corey.Truax, Corey.Truax at NGU.edu. There's a message spot on CoreyTruax.com. Lots of different ways to contact the show. But he sent me this question. Under current American capitalism, is profit more important than people? And has it all? if so, has it always been that way? So first, under current American capitalism, is profit more important than people? Yes, 100%, no question, absolutely. Uh, in our current state, the the people are not a factor in the calculus for companies. I've talked about this some before, that there was a time in American history that the employees were a major constituency for a company. So when labor was shorter, when there were fewer people who could do the jobs, you wanted to keep your labor happy, so that so that's why you have raises, that's why you had pack, you know insurance packages and things like that. That changed over time to where the reason a company exists, it's not even its mission statement, the reason it exists it's, is to enhance stockholder value. We're, all we're trying to do is enhance the value of our company for our shareholders. That's the only reason we're there. And if we have to do that on the backs of our workers, if we have to do that and it affects the customer, but it doesn't affect the customer in a way they stop buying it, as long as they keep buying our stuff, as long as we still have good volume, that's why we exist. So why does American capitalism exist? It does exist for shareholder value, and you lead to shareholder value by turning a profit consistently and growing that profit consistently over time. One of the ways you do that is by cutting your costs, and a lot of times that's going to be people. So does American capitalism care about profit more than people? 100% yes, that's true. Has it always been the case? Probably not. It's probably not been the case through history. This is where we need to go back through history. I love capitalism. I love it because it's been good for people. Where socialism and communism have existed, misery has existed mostly. People live in poverty. They don't have things. It has been in capitalist systems that we get all this cool stuff. We invent all the best things in the world. Tell me the cool stuff socialism has given us. 
So capitalism does these great things for humankind. But this book that we all say gave us capitalism, that Adam Smith wrote down the principles in, in uh, Wealth of Nations, talked about the invisible hand of the market. People forget that before he published Wealth of Nations, this is one of our big problems. We didn't study it in civics. We didn't study it in history. He wrote another book. He wrote a book called Moral Sentiments. And he wrote them in that sequence on purpose. Because for capitalism to work in a way that is the best for all people, you have to have people with moral sentiments. If you have capitalism without morality, you will only care for profit. You will only care for shareholder value. You won't care for people, your customer, your worker. You're not going to care about those things. Why? You have no moral sentiments. You have no ethics. You have no morals. This has been the problem with American capitalism the last 100 years. There is a direct correlation with us becoming terrible people. We have become terrible. And the freedom of capitalism has allowed that horrendousness, has allowed that, has allowed that immorality and lack of ethics to then perpetrate damage on other folks. I would still take this dangerous freedom over, over a safe bondage. I love our free economy. It's, it's not as free as I'd want it to be, but we have a fairly free economy. We have fairly free people. But the bottom line was our freedom worked so well for so long. That question, has, has American capitalism always been so profit-driven over people? No, because we had better people. I mean, we've always had our, we've had our, uh, our terrible people in history. And human nature hasn't changed. The biblical principle will tell us human nature in 1940 was the same as it is today. Human nature in 1920 was the same as it was today. The difference is this. In 1920, in 1930, in 1940, there were social standards, social pressures to behave. And so the social stigma that would come along and do, if you were doing the wrong thing, the pressure that would be applied upon you socially, you it caused people to do the right things. So there, this turns into, a, you know, biblically, that turns people into whitewashed tombs, right? So they're doing all the best things. They look good on the outside. This is the history of American culture. In 1920, 30, 40, 50, 60, we had had people doing a lot of the right things on the outside. Their hearts were evil, and they wished they were doing a lot of the wrong things, and a lot of the wrong things they were doing, they were keeping hidden. And now, American in American culturally, we just have people doing all the terrible things, and not only are they not hiding it, they are proud of it. They put it on display. They want you to know they're doing those terrible things, and if you disagree with them doing those terrible things, then you're just a bigot and a hater. That's what's changed. What's What's changed in American capitalism is that as we have gotten worse, the, the moral sentiments as they, as they went away, and capitalism is a system that would certainly take advantage of people, have no problem with taking advantage of people. All right, so that good question from Glenn, and I appreciate uh, him sending it in. If you have other questions like that, you can send them in as well. Now, before we get to sports, I have a somewhat sports-related story, and then I will, we'll move on and start talking some college football. Last Sunday... By the kindness of my family, specifically want to shout out to Caleb, my my nephew, but also uh, Jennifer, Jason, my mom, dad, the uh, the family that bought that ticket for me. I want to talk about the NFL for a second. I got to go see the Dallas Cowboys play the Carolina Panthers in Charlotte at Bank of America Stadium. I mean this, it was the coolest thing I've ever done in my life, and I've done a lot of cool stuff. Like I, I was, It was exhilarating. Like I couldn't get my heart rate down. I, I couldn't get my eyes to catch up to the game of the, uh, the speed of the game. I mean, it was awesome to see world-class athletes playing the greatest sport that's ever been on this earth, watching football. It was incredible, even with the Cowboys losing. What a cool thing to have seen. It's also way more violent than I ever thought. Like, I don't like UFC because I don't like watching people be violent to one another. This game, 
the speed at which they're moving, these collisions, this is a this is a man sport. It is beyond anything I could ever do. Uh, but thank you to those guys. And I, I just I got to toss out there, uh, for all of the stuff that there's complaints about the NFL, for some of the ratings that are down, uh, this is a piece of Americana that I still love. You know, I, I don't have a lot of affection for some of the things that are thought of as traditionally American, but this sport, this very uniquely American sport, is still, oh man, what what an awesome thing we are doing there. Uh, and uh, it's one of those things I, uh, we, as we see the sissification of America, some people call it, uh, as we discourage masculinity. One of the re- one of the consequences of that has been football becoming less popular amongst youngsters. I do hope it's something we continue to encourage. This is a good part of America. Football is a is a bright spot in our culture, at least it has been historically, and I certainly don't want to lose it. Speaking of football, and less about the culture part, and just about the scores, the stats, and what we're going to see, let's move on to sports. Are you ready? As we are one to do, we're going to finish up this week talking sports with our sports correspondent. His name's Howell. Hello there, sir. Hello. I have gotten some criticism that we don't talk about South Carolina enough, and so I want to start with their Georgia game. And well, yeah, but honestly, there was not that much to talk about. Not yet. N- until now. And they also can't. And we don't mind talking South Carolina. Not at all. They also canceled a game, losers. Yeah, I mean, so. So don't cancel football. We listen mean. while you can, because next week's there's nothing. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, more football, not less. And we get 12 games. Right. Don't cancel these things. Reschedule them. Okay, so he- here was my thought. And I think you're going to think I'm wrong, but I want to get your reaction. Okay. In the first half yep. of that Georgia game, if you take out the pick six, mm-hmm. the weird play. Yep. It actually was 10. Uh, it would have been uh, Georgia only won the first half by three. Right. I think the top 22 players at South Carolina are comparable to the top 22 players at Georgia. Not better, comparable. Right. But when you get to the top 44. That's true. Georgia just blows them out. No, I agree. This is where recruiting and talent takes over when you get into the depth. Yes, South Carolina can hang, but they can't hang for the whole four quarters. Right. Which is not really South Carolina's fault. Spurrier did them wrong. They are recruiting much, much better. I think Muschamp was the right guy for the job. Uh, and Carolina has some talented players. They really do. But, I mean, Georgia's on a different level right now. Right now. Yeah. Especially out wide. Debo Samuel and the Edwards guy. Right. They're very good. Debo Samuel could play any anywhere in the country. Yes. He could. And he, he would start for Alabama. He and plus, for plus Wanham didn't get to play. So, South Carolina did a lot of good things. It's just the depth took over. Yes. And going into the season, I thought they were an 8-4 and four team. I still could be right. I'm starting to wonder yep. because it was really primarily the defensive depth that bothered me that makes me wonder, can they hang with with Missouri? That was a win right. for me, a Missouri game. I don't See, know I had that one as a loss for South Carolina. You did originally. Yep. Now that I've seen their defense play, I go, I don't know. Right. I think they'll beat Florida. I think they'll beat Tennessee. Yeah, South Carolina for me is a, around the 7-8 win mark. I don't think they're going under 500, though. You know, because I have Kentucky beating South Carolina as well. Which Kentucky looks good this year. They got the Dude. transfer quarterback from the JUCO who looks really good. Did I understand they broke some kind of streak this weekend? Yeah, they finally beat Florida for the first time since 1986. That's the year I was born. But the past, you know, ten <laughs> years, yeah, the, yeah, That's since, crazy. since you were born, they have not they have not beaten the Florida Gators. But the last ten years, there have been some very close games, some overtime games where they just couldn't pull it out. But this game really wasn't close. No, not uh, not especially. Are you talking about the Kentucky Florida game? Yeah, Kentucky Florida game. Yeah, that was a, con- a convincing win. Now that you say it, I remember seeing that score. Okay, over to the Clemson Tigers. I got here was one of my, one of my big annoyances. I thought T Higgins made the play of the year, and Trevor Lawrence got credit for it. You, well, I'll be honest with you. The past 
was where only T. Higgins could catch it. That's true. It was a great pass. So it was a great pass. But the catch and the the yards after catch were superior to the pass. It was incredible. To me. Not only did he go up and double coverage and catch it, then he does a, does a 360 B-button move. And, I mean, yeah. <laughs> however many yards he runs, 50 yes. yards, and the guy couldn't catch him. But T. Higgins is a freak, and we all knew it. Yes. Watching that play is one of my favorite – you know, it's my favorite wide receiver play from a Clemson receiver since Sammy Watkins ran over that Georgia player. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. My favorite wide receiver play, that, there's the Deion, that one, the Deion Kane, a couple Sammy Watkins ones, but Hunter Renfro, South Carolina last year, where he gets face masked. Oh, yeah. And then he's spun backwards and the four guys trip over themselves. And first he runs play of the second 60 half. Yard, first play of the second half. That was incredible. That's probably mine. That was Those are fun. Yeah, but that could be biased because I really like Hunter, Hunter Renfro. <laughs> It is also a, a great situation to be a fan of a program that has a lot of great wide receiver moments. It really does. I mean, just talk about the DeAndre Overton catch yep. against Texas A&M. Oh, yeah. The laser beam he threw over the Ooh. middle. I don't even know how Overton saw the ball. Mm-hmm. He just stuck his hands up and it stuck. It, feel like, it feels like those are the balls that catch you. You don't catch it. Yeah, that was a perfect pass in the perfect spot, and yeah. he didn't have to do much to catch it. Which brings me to Kelly Bryant. Right. This might have been the best game he's played for Clemson, man. Yeah, I've been saying this since the game at work. I think he really solidified himself as the starter. Agreed. There's a, there's an excitement when Lawrence goes in because of the big play possibility. You know, he's new. He's, he's a big-time recruit. But when Kelly Bryant goes in, there's a different feel. There's a comfort level, and it seems to, to come out through the players. Uh, he knows the offense. He knows the schemes. He's, yeah. And he's experienced. You, you can't recruit experience because Trevor Lawrence is not experienced. This is – that up, that's the upside of Lawrence is probably higher, right? But the right now, the to me, the emotional, uh, not the, in, the emotional instability of coming in and out of the game, not starting the second half, right? And then coming out on fire when you do get in, yeah, that's just maturity and experience. That's yeah. all that is. That's also character, it's in, character. And you know, in the Furman game, Trevor Lawrence throws his first touchdown pass. The first guy on the field to congratulate him was Kelly Bryant. I love that. And come to find out, Kelly Bryant said, Well, that's what Deshaun Watson did for me. So I wanted to do it for him. I didn't hear that. So there's that passing the torch type deal, and I think it works out well for Lawrence because he's got an experienced guy in front of him. He can learn a lot, you know, how to handle yourself, blah, blah, blah. You know, all the stuff they say about quarterbacks. Sure. <laughs> I am not – I'm not dis, uh, discouraged by their situation. I actually like what they're – how they're handling it. And I bet – I don't I don't suspect that in the locker room there's a problem. It doesn't seem that way because from what I understand, Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence are both extremely humble guys. Um, Dabo said Trevor Lawrence is one of the low, the lowest maintenance guys he's ever had on his cool. team, which kind of doesn't fit with the way he looks, is how high of a crude he was. But that's not, that doesn't speak to his character, and I think they're both high character guys. Now the defense of Clemson, right? Texas A&M played the played the game plan that I think you have to play against Clemson, which is their defense is awesome, but the weakest if there is a weak link, and there's not one, right? But the weakest part is the secondary. We're gonna throw it every play and see if we can do it. Yep, they actually were able to. Well, uh, let's yeah, let's talk about that. Okay, first of all, you're playing Jimbo Fisher, who has played Clemson eight years in a row. Counting A and M game was nine years in a row. He knows the scheme to beat Clemson. Yep. If you move the quarterback and the guy's mobile and he can throw on the run, you nullify the defensive line. You know, pretty much they got to him a few times, got close a lot more times. And when you have a mobile quarterback, the cornerbacks for Clemson can't cover a guy for ten minutes. Yep. The dude is scrambling, scrambling, and somebody's going to be open. It was a great scheme by Texas A and M. I think that's where the credit should go. You know, I don't really see a deficiency in Clemson secondary that much. I, you, I, you can't guard a guy for 45, 60 seconds. I rem- I remembered certain Florida State plays during this game. Right. There was a couple uh, wheel routes from a tight end. Yep. Some, they fake block, hit the sideline, and up. Yep. 
That's no, well, look what Alabama did in the national championship two years in a row. Yes. Same tight end. These are Same the play. things that beat Clemson. And so you figure those things out. You do them. Well, you know Venables is a super aggressive coordinator. He's mm-hmm. going to blitz an extra guy, maybe two extra guys. So the cornerbacks put a lot of pressure on them and the, and the free safeties. Um, and somebody's going to run free sometimes. That's just – that's how they play. Yeah, and you – this is when your offense then picks up your defense. That's the right. defense does the favor of the offense a great deal. Right. Uh, I mean, it's been doing that for a long time. Not only that, but Clemson's defense was on the field a long time. Yeah. That's where that depth did come in. Speaking of the depth, uh, is it Xavier Kelly is what I'm thinking of, number three? Xavier Thomas. Thank you. Freak from IMG. He was in man coverage. <laughs> now, the guy caught the ball. Yeah. But he was step for step with a running back. I know he was. It was great coverage. Yeah, it was great coverage. Look, Clemson's so deep. You got Xavier Kelly, Xavier Thomas, KJ Henry, Shaq Smith, who I love anyways. Yeah. Uh, the linebackers, you know, that's just recruiting. So with our minute and a half here left, really quick, this weekend's games, the only, I think, marquee game is TCU-Ohio State. Right. Uh, Ohio State's not played anybody, but they do look really good. Yeah, the, Ohio State is always talented. Yeah. Uh, but I'm picking TCU. Is it – where is that game? I think it's – is it a neutral side game? This is back at Jerry World. Yeah, they're back in Dallas. They're doing it in Dallas. I mean, it's quote-unquote neutral site. Still neutral Obviously site. a home game for TCU. Yeah, uh, they're going to have somewhat of that advantage, but Ohio State travels well, and they got graduates everywhere. Yeah, they travel. It's not like they don't play big games, so it's not like they're not used to it. Beyond that, there's it's a slow week. Yeah, it's really like you know the lull in between the big games. But then coming up here soon, it's, it's just going to come at you hard. Right. The other big one this week, do you have any thoughts on LSU-Auburn? Is going to be this. It's three thirty, I believe, on uh, CBS. Yeah, t- uh, people should not sleep on LSU. Mm-mm. LSU may win that game. Yeah, I, Auburn is going to be favored in Vegas, right? But that's going to be one of those old school SEC knockdown smash them up. Yeah, it, be- it should be a good one. I'll watch. I'll be watching that one. Awesome on defense. All right. Uh, so Clemson, Georgia Southern today. South Carolina is canceled with Marshall, but we'll be back with uh, some more uh, sports information next week. Thanks for coming in and doing sports. Not in South Carolina. Thank you. Yeah, except well, not talking. <laughs> well, I mean, can't. we can't. There's nothing there. Uh, Sorry, guys. Get every episode of the show on demand at CoreyTruax.com, Anchor, Apple iTunes, Apple Podcast. You can uh, share the show as well. It's highly encouraged when you do, and highly appreciated as well. We'll be back with another new edition of the show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.